I found a cool spot right there in that chair. It was so nice. Anybody wants to come up and take it, that would be fine with me. We're going to be looking at a portion of God's Word today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This comes from what we understand to be Paul's earliest letter that we have surviving anyway. And it's written to a very young church. You know, this, this congregation is over 100 years old. Uh, the church that Paul is writing to was only a few weeks or perhaps a few months old. And so as he writes, he has a lot of things he needs to tell them about. And as he says, he needs to supplement or to, uh, to restore their faith. He needs to come back and to teach them even more. But he's really excited about how well they're doing and how excited they are about the Lord. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. May God bless the reading of his word. I see it was worth coming just to sing that song, wasn't it? Hey, today we're going to talk about the end of the world. You know, a lot of things that we talk about in church don't get talked about much outside of church. There are things that the church is interested in that society in general doesn't seem to be that captivated by. But this is a subject that gets talked about a lot out there, and a lot of people have a lot of things that they think about it. I know when I was a kid that we all worried that we were going to all blow ourselves up with nuclear weapons, and that was the fear that we would come to the end of the world that way. And now more and more we're thinking of uh, some kind of a climate change or something. We're going to cook ourselves and, and the, the things are just going to degenerate and we'll go into another dark ages. I think most of the movies I've seen and TV shows that go by that talk about what's coming next tend to go that direction, that there's just anarchy and, and things kind of devolve into a state of real panic and and fear. Uh, even cartoons have a lot to say about the end of the world. And when you think about a cartoon about the end of the world, you almost immediately think about this guy, don't you? you some guy walking around with a sign. That one particularly captivated me. I like it. Because, um, uh, you know, it's near and there it is, all right? Uh, this one really I like too. If you can't read that, it says, the denouement is, ni- is nigh. All right. Now, those of you literary folks, yeah, that's really good theology, because uh, the denouement is, is, is a time in a play or in a, in a novel where everything comes together and, and everything makes sense. 
You know, all the stuff you've been reading or watching and you're wondering, what's that, what's that? Well, then it all comes together at the end and you know what all of that is talking about then. And that's biblical, that the end of the world, according to the Bible, will be a time like that where God's justice is made known and and things make sense that that we just puzzled about so much in the past. Uh, here's one just uh, sort of on the clash of, of the old ideas and the newer ideas. You know, you got the old guy that's still worried about nuclear winter and the new guy that's worried about uh, global warming being the end. Um, this one's kind of current. Um, you could, I'll just let you read that one. Uh, in fact, you know, the more I've heard recently as this kind of fear died down somewhat, that, uh, that that's really kind of true, that they basically made a calendar and they ran out of space, and <laughs> that was the end of it there. Uh, and this one is kind of where we are religiously. Uh, the end is what? And they, we can't agree on what that's going to be. Even those of us who study our Bibles and we, we try to go through and piece together all the information we have about the end of the world, and people come up with one idea. Some people believe that they can even set the date that it's going to happen. Other people can sort of say, well, we can see that it's going to be this event, this event, and then this event. And there's just a lot of confusion about exactly what the Bible is saying about how the world is going to end. And then finally, one more just for fun. I, I, I don't know. I like that. Trey, do you like that one? Uh, I didn't get much reaction in first service on that either. But uh, if you don't know what that means, ask somebody sitting next to you, okay? And uh, anyway, I thought that was fun. All right. Well, what then about the end of the world? What, what can we say about it? We, we know that we don't know when it's going to happen, and, and this world may have to go through a lot more trials and tribulations before it does happen. I know I was watching a special the other day on TV about uh, the history of mankind or the history of us, and, and uh, one section was on the Great Plague that swept over Asia and Europe and, and basically wiped out a third of the population. And, and do we have another one of those coming along before the end of the world? Are we going to be dealing with a changing climate that once killed the dinosaurs, and now what's it going to do for us? And all of those are valid concerns and things that we can think about. But what about the end? What's going to happen at the end? Contrary to what we may think, this world is not just spinning in, in some kind of an unorganized fact fashion. It's not just stumbling along and spinning wildly out of control. If we read our Bibles, and if we believe our Bibles, we believe that God is the creator of this universe and that he is still involved in this world. That he didn't just create things and go away, but rather he has stayed focused on and involved in his creation. And that the one who started it all is the one who's going to end it all. That just like he had an intention and a goal in creation, he has also an intention and a goal in the way that he wants to bring it to the end. That one day the great creator will become the great completer. Now, this is a basic element of our faith. And we believe that whenever this world ends, it will be at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory. Now, that's something that you can't get around in Scripture. In the New Testament, over and over, 
Jesus himself said that he was going to come back. And Paul and the great apostles that went out taught this as one of the first elements of faith. Not only do you believe that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he was buried and he was resurrected, we also believe that he is coming back. And that will be the great completion then of all things. Now we know that was an important idea because here as Paul was writing to this this young church, this church that was just beginning to explore what the will of God was as revealed in the gospel, that he writes to them, and if we read all of 1 Thessalonians and really 2 Thessalonians 2, we would find that a lot of what he talks to them about is this second coming of Jesus. Obviously, they were captivated by this idea, and they were talking a lot about it, And because of that, they had sort of gotten off track about some things. Uh, One thing in particular, some of the people, they quit working. They thought, well, if Jesus is coming back, why are we working at this meaningless jobs? Uh, It's interesting, just a little background on Thessalonians. Most of the scholars tell us that the church in Thessalonica was made up basically of daily laborers that these are the guys that just went out and worked by the hour, worked by the day. And so many of them thought, I'm tired of this. This is backbreaking. We're not getting anywhere. Jesus is coming back. So why don't we just stop this and sit and wait for him to come back? Paul had to write them and say, no, (laughs) that's not the way it is. We don't know when he's coming and you need to be working and taking care of your families. Uh, Another thing that came up as they talked about Jesus coming back was even though it had only been a few weeks or a few months since they had become Christians, some of their family members, some of their friends, some of the members in the church had died. And they thought, well, those people that have died have missed it. You know, they're going to miss out on Jesus coming back. And that's why if you turn the page in Thessalonians and get over into chapter 4, we have that wonderful passage that we often read at funeral services because it was written to give us hope, where Paul talks about that those who have died won't be left out, that when Jesus returns, he's going to bring them with us, that the dead in Christ are with him. The dead in Christ will be raised first, and then those who do happen to still be alive at the time, they will be all put together with those who have gone before, and all of us will be together with the Lord forever. And he says, encourage each other, comfort each other with these words. Those of us who have lost folks that we love dearly are comforted by the knowledge that that on that last day, on that time, if we do still happen to be here and alive, we will be reunited with those who have gone before. Now, that's what Paul says about this, and I'm grateful for this letter here, and I'm grateful for the other information. I mean, we could spend our time going through the whole New Testament and even back into the Old Testament some and beginning to get little bits and pieces of what that great day is going to be like. The day is also called a day of judgment, which brings up that word denouement. Judgment doesn't necessarily mean condemnation. It can mean that. But it also just means when God's righteousness is going to be revealed. Uh, I look forward to that. Do any of y'all have any questions about why God's doing something the way he's doing it? All right. Well, on that day, you're going to know. Those things will be laid out. The whole plan of history, all that God had intended, it will all be laid out before us. And then that's when we then will be go with God or 
not. <laughs> okay? And, and that's that day when all that's going to happen. We learn that we're going to be given a spiritual body. Paul talks a lot about that, that just like we have this physical body and we can't really explain it and it's a, it's a wonder to us, that on that day God will create for us a new kind of body. And John tells us that it, we will be like Jesus. And so we know all these things. And how do we fit them all together? Well, that's the problem. You know, good-hearted, good biblical students pour over Scripture and try to find all the references to this last day, to the day when Jesus returns, and they try to piece all these pieces together and come up with being able to say, okay, it's going to happen like this, 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 and this. But the problem is that so much of this is given us in apocalyptic-type literature, speaking a language that's very dense and very difficult to understand. And, and good people who love God and love God's Word have trouble agreeing on just exactly the way things are going to happen, that they come up with different ideas. And some of us get really confused and say, well, which one of these people is right? Which one of these schools have thought exactly how is this all going to happen? Well, I have my idea of how it's going to happen out of my studies, but I'm not going to share that with you because I have an idea that my idea isn't right. <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion that we are going to be just as surprised by the second coming. It is going to be something totally outside of anything that we ever imagined it to be. And the reason I think that is because that's the way Jesus' first coming was. You had all these wonderful people who were pouring over the Old Testament and the Scriptures, and they believed that Jesus was coming, that God was coming, that the Messiah was coming. And they had worked and worked to try to figure out how all this was going to happen. And he surprised them all, didn't he? He kept his word. He kept his promise. He told them he was going to do this, and he did it. But they didn't quite have it figured out how. Therefore, I'm not real confident I've got, figured, I've got the second coming figured out very well either. But I believe it's going to happen. And I think this is basically what Paul's message is as well. If we read in 1 Thessalonians to chapter 5, he talks about the coming of Jesus coming like a, a thief in a night. It's just going to be all of a sudden, and there he is. And he says, but don't worry about this because you guys know it's going to happen. Now, there's going to be a lot of folks who are totally caught off guard that didn't realize that this was the way that the world was going to end. But not you. You know it's going to happen. You may not know exactly how, but you know it will. Therefore, Paul says, be ready for it. Now, that I can understand. When he says it's going to happen and that we are to live our lives in such a way that we're constantly preparing for that time. And whether that time comes to us at the time of our physical death or whether we happen to be some of those who are still walking around on this earth at that time, whenever it happens, we're ready. Now, throughout Scripture and throughout Paul's letters, he gives different ideas on what we should be doing to be ready. We're going to focus in just for our 
few minutes that we have left in this little passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 where he mentions the coming of Jesus. And he gives us three ideas of things that we should be working on in order to be prepared for Jesus' arrival. The first thing that he says, he really gives himself as an example here. He says, I pray. And by the way, anytime when Paul starts saying, I'm praying for this, what do we do? We get our pen out or our pencil out and we circle that scripture. Because whenever Paul says, I'm praying about this, then we know that that is the most important thing on his heart right now. And these are the things he wants most for this young church in Thessalonica. Here's what I'm praying for. Number one is I want God to be guiding and directing me so I can come see you again. And that's one of the first things that we have to remember as we prepare ourselves for the second coming of Jesus is that we need to be people who are led and guided by our Lord. Paul talked about this in a lot of different ways. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, If we live by the Spirit, or God in us, then let us also be guided by the Spirit. You know, you received the Holy Spirit at the time of your baptism. That's what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. If we repent and we're baptized, then our sins are forgiven and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, are we going to use it or not? Do we actually consult the Spirit? Do we consult God as we take our steps? How do you begin your day? Do you begin your day by looking on your your iPhone and finding out what's on the calendar? Do you begin your day by looking ahead and saying, okay, I'm going to go do this and this and this and this? Or do you begin your day and saying, God, I need some help today. Lead me, guide me. You take me where you want me to go. Then you check your calendar. Then you keep your commitments. But your first commitment is to God. Uh, David talked about this in Psalm 25. Lonnie read it to us a moment ago. We also read it, if you were here Wednesday night, at Winter Song and talked about it a little bit. How David pleaded with God, teach me, O Lord, show me your way, lead me, guide me, instruct me. There are things that you can know only if God teaches you. I want to say that again, because if if you leave here thinking, well, you know, everything kind of erases, just keep that statement in mind, please. There are things that you will learn. There are things that you will know only if God teaches you those things. We can learn a lot of things other ways. We can learn through books. We can learn through media. We can learn from other people. We can learn from observation. There's a lot of way to learn very important information. But if we don't stop and ask God to teach us, if we don't stop and ask God to guide us, then we are not going to know some things and we're not going to go some places that he wants us to go. We have free will. We can get up. We can do anything we want to do within our capabilities. We can decide what we want to do, where we want to go, what we want to think about, what we want to watch. We can make all those decisions. Or we can stop and ask for God to lead us and to guide us and to be sensitive to his gentle nudges in our life and be prepared for those two by fours he swings at us every once in a while, you know? Just be ready to be led if you ask him. The second thing he talks about is something that comes up a lot in Scripture. Paul says that I'm also praying that you may increase and abound in your love. 
We do know that as Christians, we are called first and foremost. Job one is to learn how to love, to love others, to love God. And when I ran across this in the scripture and I was thinking about, okay, now what do I say about that? Because it's such a big subject. Uh, There are two things that immediately came to my mind. These are not the only two things that we could say about love, but these are the two things that hit me this time around. Number one is, wow. You know, to be told to love each other, what a creative task that is. It's almost like a fun thing. Do you like to be given something where you're given the leeway and just say, hey, go make this happen, and you get to sit back and figure out how that's going to be? There's no one, two, three, four steps on love, but rather God says, just get out and do it. We know what he means is that what we do builds up other people, that we're interested in their concerns, we want to help them. All these things have to do with love, but how do we do it? Isn't it fun to try to figure it out? Isn't it fun to get up and say, okay, today I'm going to love I'm going to love my family. I'm going to love my church. I'm going to love the people at work. I'm going to love. Now, how am I going to do that? How am I going to show them that without them going, you're weird? (laughs) How am I going to help them? How am I going to show my concern? How am I going to make their lives easier? And by the way, what I just said, I think applies to number two is that I really feel like that the Bible reveals to us that as we work on love, it's in this order, our family, our church, and then others. I feel so strongly about that, especially the church in the middle there uh, is, is emphasized over and over in Scripture. It's emphasized here when Paul says, may you grow in your love one for another. So many passages talk about learn to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes we try to do that the other way around. We try to be nice to everybody else, and then maybe we're sort of nice to people at church, and then we go home and we're ourselves, you know, and, and we're off the hook. We don't have to be nice there. We're at home, right? Wrong. If you want to grow in love, then when you, you, you use this creativity as to how can I make my spouse's life easier, more pleasant, happier, what can I do? What can I say? My children, the people around me, the people I'm with every day. And then how can I do that at church as well? And then it'll bleed over into where you're doing it everywhere that you go. So if you want to get ready for the second coming of Christ, if you want to get ready for the end of the world, job number one is to be loving and to be growing in that love and explore all the creative ways you can find to be a person of love. Finally, the third one that he mentions is that he wants us to be strengthened in holiness. He wants us to become more holy people as we wait for the return of Christ. Now, that has to be defined a little bit. The word holy is kind of nebulous. I think you realize, if you've been to many Bible classes, that the word holy basically means set apart. It means given a certain function, that if something is holy, it's only used for this purpose. You put it over here, and that's all you use this for. Well, we're called to be holy for God. We're called to be set apart for His purposes. We're called to be useful in His hands. So that's why being holy includes personal morality, uh, ethics, It means being people who represent God in a good way, that we copy his character, we reflect his nature. That's why it's important what decisions you make about who you are. It's important about how you spend your time and what decisions you make. It's important about what you do with your own body. Not because it's just all about you, it's because God needs holy people to use 
to show who he is throughout all this world. And he takes his holy people who are useful in his ways and he sends them out and he uses them. I know I've said many times, and this remains my earnest prayer, God, make me useful in your kingdom. And the only way I can be useful to him is if I am being strengthened in his holiness. And I'm getting out of my life the things that are ungodly and not right so that I'll be more like him. And whenever he's got something that needs to be done, he can make it work to where I'm there to do it or you're there to do it because you're growing in holiness. And yeah, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I know that. But I do want to be useful to him in every way that I can. These are the three things that Paul mentions in this instance. That we are to be people who are led and guided by God throughout our days. That we are to be people who are growing in our ability to love. And that we are to be people who are being strengthened in our holiness and becoming more and more like Him. And if we're doing that, whenever the second coming comes, no matter what else happens in between now and then, when it happens, we're going to be ready. The early church closed its service oftentimes by reminding everybody before they left, Christ is coming, to which the church responded, Come, Lord Jesus. You know, to be able to say that with confidence, that I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm growing, I understand who God is calling me to be, I'm going to be that person. To be able to, with a smile on our face, with joy in our heart, say, come, Lord Jesus. If today you do not wear his name, or if today you feel like that you have been someone who has walked away from him and no longer reflect the glory of his name, or perhaps you're someone today that, that... that you haven't really connected with a spiritual family where you can be nurtured in love and be encouraged to be holy, then we ask you to act today, to move toward him today, so that the next time you can, with a smile on your face, you can say, Come, Lord Jesus, because I'm ready. Let's stand and sing.